news. While your day is winding down, they're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Barrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day, from local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard, to listen, and where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. to South Coast tonight. I'm Marcus Farrow. 508-996-0500 is how you can join me this evening. Open phone lines for the rest of the evening. Quick programming note, I will be we'll, we'll be out uh, Thursday and Friday uh, this week. So this is our last um, night of the evening. Uh, last evening of the week. I'm going to be uh, in a filling in um, in the uh, 9 to noon slot next week. Just filling in um, uh just uh, going to have some fun. So we'll, we'll be looking forward to your engagement then as well. Um, but until then, 508-996-0500 is how you can join us. We can also take your messages on the WBSM app chat. We had uh, Chris McCarthy was able to call in, talk about the Rachel Rollins. Um, uh, you know, looks like, uh, I think it's fair to say it's a scandal, a reported scandal. Um, we also had State Rep Tony Cabral talk about the ear uh, the earmarks he secured in the state budget and talk about why he supports Mayor Mitchell's MBTA lawsuit, which I thought was um, I think a pretty interesting um, was a, a pretty interesting and well delivered opinion uh, on that. We appreciate Rep Cabral uh, joining us when uh, when he's uh, when he can. I know they're doing a lot of work up there on Beacon Hill. But now I'll be joined by you at 508-996-0500. The Rachel Rollins thing is particularly disappointing to me because, you know, I, I, I want to just sort of reemphasize that. Rachel Rollins was elect, first elected in 2018. In fact, when I was first asked by Tim Weisberg, right, when he was the digital managing editor, I was first asked by Tim Weisberg to start writing articles on WBSM.com, right, to provide my perspective on things. This is when we were doing more opinion-based stuff. We've moved more to news articles, right? But um, I, the very first thing I wrote was about the wave of progressive district attorneys that had swept across the country. And I think one of the headliners of that was um, was Rachel Rollins. She was elected in Boston. She was elected. Um, she was elected over a uh, Democratic candidate um, who was, I believe, the deputy of her predecessor, who was a bit more on the. I don't want to say a traditional law and order type of prosecutor because he was. Um, I think 
uh, a fan, uh, a, a um, he was a proponent of diversion too. Uh, that's the big thing. That was the big thing of Rollins's Rollins's tenure. Is Rollins was Rollins's Rollins was a heavy believer in diversion, diver, diverting cases. Right. So that means if a case comes before you, you rather than you know prosecute to the fullest extent of the law divert it somehow that could be a dismissal um if it's a you know innocuous enough offense it could be going to drug court mental health court veterans court something like that right some type of alternative resolution to like a full like prosecution and so i remember we had uh, district attorney tim cruz on um uh, from Plymouth County, he's still the district attorney. He was reelected uh, last year. He had said, you know, these progressives act like they made they they uh, they discovered case diversion. It's been going on for forty years, right? And that's true. But I think there was a ramping up of it, uh, especially in Suffolk County. Um, so, uh, so Rollins ran on. I think this process, uh, you know, the do not prosecute list, a more progressive type of um, a more progressive type of prosecutor. Right. And she was. Um, she was. She ran on this do not prosecute list, which is a list of lower level offenses that they would not prosecute on a case by case basis. So if someone had. Uh, you know, a pretty, you know, someone had a lengthy record or like a history of repeated offenses or something like that. They may consider prosecuting that case, but most of the, for the most part, there these were simple drug possession, shoplifting, things that basically crimes that were oftentimes indicative of someone having a particular drug habit, right? A drug habit. Um, because they believed, and it's, I think this has been borne out in statistical data that, Prosecuting a drug habit away, a drug addiction away, is not effective. Um, you know, oftentimes what's uh, a more amicable solution is, is is drug court or incentivizing people to be able to seek actual treatment. That's the best way to move forward. So she does this. She gets criticism, obviously, from more traditional law and order, even Democrats and Republicans. Um, but they saw that, first of all, based on um, data under her predecessor, which was, I think they were diverting cases at, a, at about 40 some odd percent, right? And she ramped it up to like 62%. She increased case diversion by 20 something percent. I think that that was the number. But we found under her predecessor that um, people who had their cases diverted were substantially less likely to reoffend, to recidivate. Magic word we all heard during the Bristol County Sheriff's race, which is basically someone's um, someone's likelihood. Uh, recidivism is someone if someone recidivates, they reoffend. So it reduces the it substantially reduced their chance of reoffending if their case is diverted rather than prosecuted. Rachel Rollins amped, uh, ramped that up. Um, we found during her tenure that crime had a precipitous drop in the city of Boston under her watch. It was uh, clear and unequivocal based on the data, right? And so, and obviously a lot of that has to do with police work as well. No doubt about that. But what you couldn't say based on that data, that 
it wasn't even if you can't say well it isn't solely because of Rachel Rollins and the job she's doing it's at least in part due to that and what it isn't is what Rachel Rollins did was not a cause of a higher crime rate uh, Senator Ted Cruz um and senators of Texas and Senator Tom Cotton of I believe Arkansas had basically painted Boston as this sort of lawless uh, anarchist hellscape that uh, is run amok with crime um, because of her soft on crime, quote unquote, soft on crime approach. But we have the receipts. We know that's not true. She was eventually elevated. She got every single vote she needed, which at the time the Senate was a 50-50 split. So the senator, now it's not, but the time was a 50-50 split. So like uh, Chris McCarthy said, she was able to get that 51st tie-breaking vote because in the constitutional, a lot of you obviously know that a 50-50 tiebreaker vote means the Senate president tie breaks the vote which is the vice president the person that or the person that provide presides over the senate which is the vice president um breaks the tiebreaker with with their vote so if there's a 50 50 split in the senate whoever has uh whichever party holds the majority in the uh whatever whichever party holds the white house that's the party that has the majority so in that case it was the democrats with kamala harris being the tie-breaking vote i believe during the bush administration there was a 50 50 split and thus with dick cheney they had the the republicans had a narrow majority and i think it might have changed the democrats at a certain point uh power might have changed hands of the democrats at a uh at a certain point but that's neither here nor there so she get you know she she comes under this heat democrats defend her and i think rightfully on the policy grounds because i think this is i these policies work but the senator cruz does bring up the incident in the dedham mall where she's alleged to have uh flashed um uh you know siren lights right the blue lights identify herself as she got into an altercation with somebody at the parking lot identify uh, identified herself as a law enforcement official and um then later was i think you know asked about the media actually in that in that report in the in one of the reports is a reference to something you may have heard on wbsm the howie Carr show was referenced because of an interview that rachel rollins did with Howie Carr surrounding the incident. But that comes up by Senator Ted Cruz and I think Senator Tom Cotton. Um, I think, honestly, I, I do think that if it wasn't for her policies, her policies and her being the sort of the trailblazer for progressive prosecutors, it wasn't just her too. It was Larry Krasner and there's others across the Commonwealth I and mean, across the country. If it wasn't for that, I don't think you would have heard much from Ted Cruz on it. I don't think you would have heard much from the Republicans on it. Because like Chris said, U.S. attorney positions are pretty non-controversial. They're usually done by a voice vote. It's not very often that um, in U.S. attorney, you know, I, I think I don't have to necessarily. I don't know if I have to explain what U.S. attorneys are and what they do. U.S. attorneys are uh, essentially the chief federal prosecutors of their respective districts. Now, there's obviously uh, Rachel Rollins was the, will until tomorrow is the 
U.S. attorney for the District of Massachusetts. Sheldon Whitehouse was the U.S. attorney for the district, uh, district of Rhode Island. I forget who it is now. There's a District of Connecticut. There's New Hampshire. Um, New York, there's some cities in, in states that have a couple, like New York City itself has a few certain districts, like the, uh, the Eastern District um, and the Southern District. The Southern District of New York, actually, is one of the highest profile U.S. Attorney's offices. Uh, Rudy Giuliani famously held the Southern District of New York's um the Southern District of New York's uh, 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 district uh, U.S. Attorney seat under the Reagan and Bush one administration, right? Someone can correct me on that. But he got famous for taking down the mob. Uh, this was, of course, took advantage of the RICO statutes that allowed um, that allowed the mob to be taken down a lot more easily. And he was famous for the. Uh, perp walks. So basically going to arrest people and then making them walk and put the media there and make it a whole spectacle. That was one of his claims to fame. But he was famous for taking down the mafia. Uh, Preet Bahara is another famous, uh, under Obama is another famous, um, U.S. attorney for the, uh, Southern District of New York, uh, under Barack Obama. In fact, his, um, his engagement, uh, his, uh, sort of battles with a, um, Wall Street's uh, sort of hot shot is the basis for the hit show on Showtime, Billions, that was with Paul Giamatti um, and used to be Damian Lewis, but now is Corey Stoll um, as the main antagonist, or they're both antagonists. It's difficult to tell. Um, so that's a that's a probably a more high profile. That's probably the highest profile stop because of all that happens in Manhattan. You know, it's the economic fulcrum, really, of the world. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity there. Obviously, uh, Rudy Giuliani made it famous for his um, his his mob prosecutions and all of that. So uh, U.S. attorneys are assigned to a district. They are the chief prosecutors of those districts. Uh, before Rachel Rollins, it was Andrew Lelling. Uh, Andrew Lelling was the U.S. attorney under. President Trump, uh, he was, I thought, actually would have could have been a strong candidate uh, for for governor um, just based on some of just based on his record. Um, and maybe he would have had to present it. He would have had the sort of the stench of Trump on him, but may have been able to present himself in a more moderate light um, and had, you know, would have been, you know, would have maybe shown uh i think he he just made some big headlines he had had that varsity is it called the varsity blues case where famous uh you know holly you know famous people like the the actress from full house right famous people were um found to have uh sort of rigged the harvard admissions process to get their kids into college uh he was also he had cracked down on some illegal marijuana businesses you know ones that were Operating outside of the regulations of the Cannabis Control Commission, I remember there was one person who was basically just, you know, um, without a license peddling uh, marijuana, made like $13 million, started buying a new house cash and drove around in a brand new car, which you shouldn't do uh, if you're, you know, if you're making millions of dollars in illicit money. Um, but there's also the, obviously the prosecution of Jaisal Korea was something that he had, uh, you know, investigated and initiated. I don't think it was seen through under his tenure, but it was, it was, it was his case. It was something that he started and was carried on into the next administration. So I thought he actually would have been a good uh, candidate for governor based on that. Not saying he would have won, but I th- it was interesting that he didn't pursue a political career immediately after that. 
Um, so they're high, very high-profile jobs. They're very important jobs. We talked about everybody, Sheldon Whitehouse, uh, Chris Christie, Rudy Giuliani, Lori Lightfoot, um, John Mitchell, right? Um I could I could probably Bill uh, Bill Wells. Uh, I believe Ron DeSantis worked in the U.S. Attorney's Office, not as the U.S. Attorney, but a U.S. Attorney. So um, there's a lot of people that worked in those offices that have done well in a political career afterwards. Anyway, five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred. Let's go to the phones. Good evening. Good evening, Marcus. How you doing? Not peachy. How about you? Great. Good. You're talking about Rachel Rollins. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't have any great affinity for Rachel Rollins. Okay. I think there was one one guy over there in, uh, oh, it was up around north of Boston one time. She let him in the, she let him out the back door when when he was, wasn't supposed to. He was supposed to be that was the, uh, uh, that was a judge. That was a judge. That was a judge. Yeah, that was a judge that did that. So there was somebody that may they they suspected was a. Um, an undocumented uh, immigrant, ICE had uh, something like ICE had ICE had come into the courtroom that was based on a Trump directive that you know we wanted ICE agents to to start working in the courtrooms a lot more. And then I remember they weren't sure whether or not the person was an undocumented immigrant, and the judge had actually allowed uh, was accused of allowing oh, cool. him to uh, slip out the back door. I think uh, I don't know what the resolution yeah, you're right, you're right. was. It was a female judge. Yes, yeah, it was female judge. Was Rachel Rollins uh, in charge of that female judge? No, the judiciary stands on its own uh, in that uh, DA is more of an executive level position. The judiciary is its own branch. So the DA and the DA and judiciary are are separate. Yeah, I'll I'll let her off the hook for that one. And thank you for the uh, education on that one. No problem. She was she's she's a uh, she's a flame and liberal, so to speak. Isn't that correct? Um, yeah, I mean, flaming liberal. She's a she was a progressive uh, for sure. She was uh, definitely more more to the far to the, further to the left on prosecution than most district attorneys are in the country. Yeah, I, w- I would agree okay. with that. Definitely, most district attorneys so, even okay. in the Commonwealth. So what, what what I'm thinking is that the Democrats they kind of like the mafia, you know? They are protect they? their own. They protect their own. Right or wrong, they protect their own. Well, it doesn't seem like they I did mean, in this circumstance. I mean, Joe Biden's Justice Department investigated her and basically forced her out of her seat. You got Fetterman there from Pennsylvania. The guy can't even spit out of spit out. He's he's, he's handicapped. Okay. Well, he you got, uh, he had a stroke. He had a stroke while I don't he was care campaigning. If he had a stroke. He, he had a stroke and should be home. Everybody knew that. Eddie, they still elected him over Doctor Oz. I think that speaks more to Doctor Oz's candidacy than than anything else. You know, Democrats um, put this guy up as a candidate. Well, he had a, he was lieutenant governor of the state, right? And then he was very deep into the election season, had a stroke, and is recovering from a stroke. But you should you should have checked out of the campaign right right then and there. Yeah, no, I disagree. I, I disagree. Not with with the with the with the with the, with the, with the stakes with what was at stake. I, I I don't I don't think so. I don't I think, think so. What's at stake is the benefit of the people of Pennsylvania. Uh, you know what? The people of Pennsylvania knew that. They had an opportunity, and they still didn't like Dr. Oz. They still didn't like the Republican Party. So if you could you could say you could say now, well, if he's unable to do his job, and I haven't seen John Fetterman in quite some time, so I'm not sure if how well he's recovered from his stroke yet, but you can recover from your stroke and still do your job. Um, I'm not sure how well he's recovered from his stroke yet, but you could say maybe, oh, if he's unable to do his job, maybe he should step aside. There's uh, Shapiro. Okay. Uh, Josh Shapiro's in office. So, so just, you should just, get a point. Uh, 
you are coming to his defense now and saying, oh, well, it's the uh, people of Pennsylvania. The guy's, guy can't spit out a couple they of words. They voted for him. Stumbled. So, but, okay. He had an even... Well, he uh, here's the aid. thing. Here's to his aid. If they can come to this guy's aid... Here's the thing. No, they also come to Diane Feinstein's aid. Yeah, Diane Feinstein. Diane Feinstein. She's been. She's like. She's like nine, almost ninety, and every day of it. What Diane Feinstein's doing is is really bad. I mean, and there's there's been reporting for at least a couple of years now that Diane Feinstein is completely senile. Um, yes. So I would agree, and it's similar with John Fetterman in this situation. If John Fetterman, and I'm not sure if he's a, like, and he might be John Fetterman. Well, hold on. John Fetterman might be able to perform his duties, and if so, then he's then he should stay. But he if he's not, he might be able to perform his duties, okay. But the thing of if, it is, if he's not, he should step. If, if he's not, he, not well, hold on. If he's not, he should step okay. step aside. He's there's a Democratic governor there, Josh uh, Josh Shapiro, will will appoint that seat uh, to a Democrat, and that would. Yeah. I, but with Diane Feinstein, it's not like that seat isn't isn't in in jeopardy, and it hasn't been. There has been reporting on Diane Feinstein that she has been completely senile for the last well, at least couple of years, right? Yeah, that's the who's, question. Who's, who's giving her, her marching orders? I agree, but you can say the same thing for Chuck Grassley and the Republican Party. Uh, uh-huh. You can say the same thing for Strom Thurmond, who was 100 years old. He's the oldest senator in American history. He died uh, in, in his in office. He was 100 years old, um, and they kept him around, too. It's not exclusive was to the he, Democratic was he, Party. Was he cogent? No, he wasn't cogent. He was a hundred. I don't know too much about him. I know how old he was. Strom Thurmond ran for Strom, ran for Strom Thurmond ran for president in the twenties, I believe, or maybe the thirties. In the twenties, I think, on a segregation uh, ticket. I, I, That's I don't how, debate his. I don't debate his age. What I'm questioning is, was he still with it? I know people. I've seen people that are hundred years old and they're still quite with it. No. Some World War II veterans, etc. Yeah, if he wasn't. Then That's fine. There's a difference. My point, I, my point is that you got Biden. You got Feinstein, you got Fetterman. They're protecting these people. They're insulated. You can't get a bad word about I, any of these people. Again, I think. I why, think are they, why are they hanging uh, Rachel Rollins out to dry? I'm thinking there's got to be some, there's something going on there. It's not just black and white. They want her gone for some reason. Oh, there's no doubt not, they want not, her. There's no doubt they want us. her gone. Not, right? what tell, not what they're telling us. Yeah, she didn't resign on her. I don't think she. I don't think she resigned on her own. There's no doubt that they want her gone. I mean, that's why they they did the investigation. It's it was right that it's Biden's Justice Department that did the investigation. Um, so if there's no doubt that they wanted her gone. I, if there's any deeper reason beyond the things that she's accused of doing in that report, I'm I'm not I'm not sure. I wonder if she's left a progressive uh, uh, crowd, so to speak. Or she's changed her stripes. I mean, Joe Biden's not really that, you know, his record on crime is pretty bad. He's not that really all that progressive. Um, he wrote the crime bill. He hasn't really backed away from it all that much. Uh, so I, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think it's, I don't think that's it. You don't think she's gone from progressive to something else? I don't think that would be the reason. Um, uh, I don't think that would be the reason. Like, if she got more conservative in her prosecution, I don't think Joe Biden's like get her out of here because uh, they, you know, if she did, if she did get more conservative in her prosecution, she'd probably be more in a lot in more, better alignment with Joe Biden in his history on the issue. Got to be something. It's, whatever it is, it's not what they say it is. In my opinion, yeah, could be true. Could be true. Yeah. All right, take care. Thanks for the call. So 508-996-0500, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. 
Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm Marcus, 508-996-0500. We'll also take your messages on the app chat. So um, William from New Bedford asks, will Rollins be prosecuted for lying under oath during the investigation? I, I don't know. I, I'm not entirely privy to that particular part of the the report, so I can't speak to it. Um, yeah, that would be a crime. Uh, Bill Clinton famously uh, was found to have lied under oath. Um uh, in the Lewinsky scandal, right? And he was a lawyer, and uh, I'm not comparing the two, but I'm just, compa- I'm just comparing the consequences. And he was uh, disbarred from uh, he was disbarred from Arkansas. He was disbarred in Arkansas, I believe. Uh, I believe, yeah, Arkansas disbarred, uh, disbarred Bill Clinton, and he may have had some reciprocal disbarment. So basically, how the pro, you know. You can, if you're a lawyer, like in Massachusetts, right? I have, uh, we all, we're governed by the Board of Bar Overseers. Uh, we colloquially, colloquially call it the BBO. We all have licenses. Our actual, you know, physical licenses are given to us by the BBO. We call them the BBO card or the bar card usually. It is a uh, very unimpressive piece of paper. Um, with your name, uh, with your number, the date you were admitted, uh, your, the, your profession and your professional address, um, and your name and the expiration date of the card, uh, and you have to sign it as well. Uh, I would like, honestly, I wish I could, we could get something a little bit more substantial, like a picture, picture ID. I feel like we work really hard to get this little piece of paper and, uh, but that's neither here nor there. I usually show your bar card. Um, when you are going into court, uh, often, um, you know, just if you, if you're an attorney and you go to court, you don't have to stand in line. Usually you just have to show your bar card. Um, and you just walk right through because you're at work, right? You're working there. So, um, so, uh, we're, Given our licenses by the Board of Bar Overseers, if there is a complaint filed to the Board of Bar Overseers, uh, they typically will look into it. They'll investigate it and decide if there's uh, any uh, – they'll have a hearing, right? And they'll decide if there's any um, disciplinary action that needs to be taken, right? Sometimes often aggrieved clients file complaints. Um, you know, other people, third parties may file complaints as well to the BBO. It's investigated. There are hearings. The person is allowed to defend themselves. They often are able to get an attorney to, def- uh, to defend them in these hearings, uh, through malpractice insurance, which, you know, all lawyers need to have, uh, for the most part, um, through malpractice insurance. So, Rachel Rollins, and you can lose your law license for a multitude of things. Um, typically things that are sort of surround like, uh, dishonesty, right? Is typically the area. Like if you, uh, but you can, if you're convicted of a crime, you can also lose your, your bar card depending on the seriousness of the crime. You know, if you get convicted of an OUI, for example, you probably don't use your lose your bar card unless maybe it's multiple OUIs, right? Uh, you know, there's misuse of client funds. Um, if you're, you know, misrepresent something to the court, if you lie to the court, if you lie uh, under oath, right? If you lie under oath, you commit perjury. That could certainly be a reason. And so some of these, uh, you know, misuse of, I think, you know, in this case, uh, 
government resources. I think some of the, uh, you know, leaking documents to a being found to have leaked documents to a third party for political purposes. I think that, and I'm not saying that there will be, I think that there could be a hearing held by or an investigation conducted by the Board of Bar Overseers in Massachusetts, the BBO, into Rachel Rollins and whether or not she should either continue to have a license or have her license suspended. Oftentimes, I think the BBO is pretty reluctant to to disbar people entirely to, you know, but... Uh, to disbar people entirely. Um, it's more common to have some type of suspension, right, for a period of time, a year, 18 months, three years, something like that, uh, depending on the behavior. And then you can apply to, you can reapply to get your license back. Um, but in this particular circumstance, you do wonder, based on some of the allegations, whether or not there is a legitimate question as to whether or not she gets to keep her license. I'm not sure it's going to go that far. Um, I'm not sure it's going to go that far. Um, I think some of the things that she may be accused of in this report, if they're found to have been true, uh, could um, warrant an investigation to the, to the in the BBO. And there might be, given the intense political scrutiny in this case, be an investigation by the BBO. But I'm not entirely sure what the BBO would do about it. Like I said, the BBO typically wants to give attorneys, I think, the benefit of the doubt, and I think that's a good thing. The BBO also has um, every, I haven't had to use them in a while, but every, like, rotate, I think it's like Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, right? They have an ethics advisor. So if you have a question, if you're not sure, because we all have a professional code of conduct that's kind of long, uh, you know, you, we all know the fundamental rules of it but there might be some areas in which you're like i'm not sure if i should be able to if i'm able to represent this person or i'm not be able to sure if i should do this or that or the other thing right you can call the bbo and you can talk to the ethics advisor they're not going to ask you any deeper questions they're not going to launch an investigation after just say hey listen i've got this question surrounding this what do you you know what is the best course of action and they will advise you on that um, so those are, those are always available, uh, to all attorneys. So I'm not sure if, you know, depending on some of the allegations, I think obviously lying under oath, um, lying to investigators, that certainly does meet a criteria for at least an investigation, but it is a serious, it's not something that can be thrown around. The allegation that she maybe lose her license or disbarred. It is something that they probably will take seriously again, given the high profile of this case, but it would be, I would be surprised if it came to the, the, the point of a disbarment. A suspension seems like something that maybe is in the realm of more in the realm of possibility than that. So that's, uh, my take on that. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but she may have to, um, maybe she'll have to give up her, uh, little paper card for, for a while. I, I, I don't know. 508-996-0500. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. This is South Coast Tonight. 1420 WBSM is now also on 99.5 FM. Uh. Pollution from trucks is a public health crisis. Diesel burning trucks belch dangerous levels of pollution. And communities living near ports and along freight corridors breathe especially high levels of this dirty air. But this crisis has a solution. My name is Sasan Sadat, and I work for Earth Justice. I'm working to clean up our air quality, particularly for communities that bear the burden of diesel pollution. For the sake of our lungs, 
our health, and our climate, the future of trucking in this country has got to be zero emissions. Until then, I will never rest. Earth Justice is a national legal nonprofit defending the environment and people's health. Earth Justice is fighting to save lives, protect our climate, and strengthen our economy through the shift to zero emissions. If clean air matters to you, visit us at earthjustice.org. Earth Justice, because the earth needs a good lawyer. You never know who will call in the South Coast tonight. But they want to hear from you most of all. Call 508-996-0500. Or use the WBSM app to send an app, chat, text message, or leave voicemail. Hey, welcome back. Let's go to the phones. Good evening. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Good evening, Marcus. How you doing? I'm great. How are you? Well, it was good to hear Chris tonight. You know, yeah. uh, it's nice if he can't make it into calling because his opinion is always, uh, you know, appreciated and that sort of stuff. But, sure. Uh, the, the question I have to ask you, or the first question, I guess, is uh, has Scott Lima uh, taken out papers and getting signatures to run for Council Lodge? Well, he's taken out papers. I don't know if he submitted signatures yet. I haven't heard that. I haven't heard anything mm-hmm. suggesting that he will or he has. He's, you know, I, I asked him, we asked him about it when he was here probably about a month ago now. So he hasn't made up his mind yet? He, I don't think he's, I don't think so. Um, to my To my knowledge... He hasn't. I can ask him, but uh, to my knowledge, he hasn't. When um, does he have to get those papers in? Oh, not till like July, maybe August. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's, he's got, got time. time. He's got all the time in the world. Yeah. And I don't the reason why I ask is because if he does get in, it's going to be a uh, you know as council at large musical chairs. There's one counselor that's not going to be there if he wins. That's correct. Yeah, um, I'm not sure who it would be. Uh, you know, um, but uh, I think that's obviously something he's probably considered or will consider mm-hmm. when he um, when he submits his papers. Um, you know, they're all colleagues. That doesn't necessarily mean they're all friends. And, yeah. you know, if he wants to be a counselor at large, he has every right to do that. Okay. Uh, of course, unfortunately, Wednesday night is the night that I go out to eat with a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't get to eat, hear the first part about with Tony Cabral. Did he give any clarity on how he feels about... Uh, uh, I guess what the other uh, legislators feel was a, uh, a lack of dialogue with the mayor. Full, so he had full throated support for the lawsuit. He was. He said that the you know he said I don't want to defend the MBTA uh, mm-hmm. against the taxpayers in New Bedford. I think that they probably didn't pay fair market value, and I think that they should pursue fair market value. And he has. He says there in no way is this going to jeopardize the project. Um, I think he also said something to the effect of this isn't really something that like South Coast Rail isn't a favor to us. It's something that we're owed. It's part of a broader transportation plan mm-hmm. to make the Commonwealth more accessible via pr- transportation. So mm-hmm. it's not something that they're investing. It's something that we're owed. So I think that they, you know, the taxpayers, New Bedford, any city like New Bedford should um, should, you know, look for uh, every penny you can get from this lawsuit. Well, hopefully they don't have to go to the lawsuit and they can get some sort of understanding yeah. on getting more money for that. And I think by doing that, the other state legislators won't feel that they've been miffed or, you know, or not, not, you know, kept in the loop or, or whatever the case may be. There's, there's other things, I think, beyond this that the New Bedford will have to work on and depend upon the state for help. And certainly Tony would be one vote for help, but I think the rest of the uh, of the team uh, seems to feel that they were slighted in some way. 
Yeah, they do. Um, he stands alone, like, completely in this. Well, maybe so. he, was, he was talking over the fence to his next-door neighbor. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think that's it. <laughs> and then maybe he's got some inside information that uh, our mayor might be given an offer he can't refuse to uh, replace Rachel Rawlins. You know what? It's interesting. I think Tony's obviously a candidate. If uh, if yeah. Mitchell does decide to leave, he's obviously the strongest that we can think of. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. he's indicated an interest in that uh, position before when he ran against uh, uh, Mayor Mitchell the first time when mm-hmm. Mitchell wasn't the mayor. And so I could see where he obviously, if he wants to continue to be uh, involved in uh, the city and wants to leave the legislature. Uh, yeah, stop commuting to Boston. Yeah, yeah. That com- <laughs> well, we'll have the trains. So we won't have to worry about the commute. I'm just joking. Right. That sort of thing. Uh, so uh, another question. Uh, last night, did you get any information on the election in Rochester in the school committee? So Rochester... Um that election's next week. Oh, it's next week. Okay, I thought it was. Yeah, Madam Poisett was um, this uh, yesterday, and okay. I believe it was more in favor of the the, the non conservative people. Mm-hmm. So that was my understanding. Mm-hmm. So again, the uh, the, the uh, determination of who will be on the school committee for Old Rochester is 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 next week. It'll be for, as the Rochester representative. I, yeah, I, I see. I that see. that's going to be next week. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that'll that'll. Who now? You've got uh, Jimmy O'Brien running for that. He was on the, the other night. There. Yep. Who else is running? Is there? Well, it's Joe Pius. Okay, uh, who I knew from the feast. He's uh, he owns uh, Pioneer Basement. Uh, mm-hmm. He's been on the school committee for, for some time. He had called into Barry Show a while back. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was important to get Jim on as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's up for re-election. So Jim's challenging him for his seat. I listened this morning. I know you don't control this morning and everything, mm-hmm. and I don't know. Maybe I fell asleep or something, but I don't think the mayor came on uh, the, this morning. Yes or no? I don't you think know? so. Yeah, I don't think so either. I don't know. I, I think he was supposed to, and I don't know. Uh, I didn't get any uh, reason from Tim as to why that didn't happen. Or... Well, you know, that'll be hashed out in the coming weeks. Hey, uh, is, is this going to continue to be the lineup, Tim, in the morning, and then... Uh, uh, the, I don't know. Oh, you, you don't know. Okay. I, I'll, what I do know is next week I'm going to be filling in nine to noon. Um, oh, okay. And Je- Jess will, I think, be at night, but it's interim right now. Okay. So we're. Uh, I think it's you know just uh, it's kind of like what's going on at Fox. Just you know, <laughs> just you know these it's like Tucker Carlson leaving <laughs> interim. Yeah, you know, I think until there's a permanent announcement. But next week I'll be at nine to noon. Yeah. So 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 things are being worked on. You would at least say as to how the. Uh, the lineup will continue. I am, um, I am not privy uh, to the final decision making uh, as that. of now. I but I next week I will be filling in nine to noon, and uh, now, I, so that means Jess will be on at night. Then Jess will be on at night. I I think uh, I think she'll be on at night. I, I that's what I believe is going to happen. She's yeah. going to be on at night, yeah. uh, but I'm going to be on nine to noon next week. Well, I, I missed the old lineup, of course, with Phil leaving, leaving because that that worked for me. Yeah, I liked him midweek with the mayor coming on the time that he did. And again, you know, that I, might I, still happen. I, I just don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm just not sure. I think it would be better for the mayor if he comes on somewhere around noontime. I I think more people would get to listen to him than rather at eight o'clock where people are going to work mm-hmm. or people like me are sleeping. I know there's, there was an effort even before you got there of the station trying to get a, young, a younger demographic. And I think you and Chris have uh, contributed to that. I but so. I still think a large part of your audience are people like me who are uh, people on fixed incomes, retirees, because yes. we have the time uh, to listen all right, yeah. and to call in. So uh, sure. I think by its very nature, 
I, I know they try to get younger, younger people uh, working or, you know, doing what it is they do, and the older people like us are home, retired, and living on a fixed income and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, the, 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 the talk is, is still strongly to people my age, I think. Um, yeah, I agree. I'd say the audience definitely skews older, but we have attracted, I think, younger people, especially to the podcast format. Um, you know, yeah, that's that's your thing. It's certainly not my thing. I know the other day you told me if I don't get to listen to Tony, uh, listen to the podcast, but I, I'm 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 not skilled in that 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 sort of stuff. I understand. I'm, I'm talking to you still on a uh, direct line phone that's been in my house for quite some years. You know, so, I, I, I got to tell you. When I when I bought my first home, I I did not buy a phone line. <laughs> you know, I did not. I just used my cell phone. I, I don't I don't know any of my friends that are homeowners that do have one or that live a, live in apartments or anything that do have one. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, we're, we're we're a little bit past that as well. But um, I actually it does have its uses because sometimes cell phone reception all that can get a little spa, uh, oh, spotty. Yeah. Plus it the battery. All the time on your show. You in, the, in the battery too, yep, you got yep, always got to yep. have your a charger or yep. several chargers present throughout your house. Yeah. Yeah, that sort of thing. All right, I'm going to ask you the, the big question. Uh, how do you think goes the uh, override in Fairhaven? Do you think you, you get a chance? Or what do you, is it even? What, what, what I am, is your... I'm totally unsure. I am totally, like, I do not know at all, uh, honestly. I know that the members, of, I know that the town meeting passed the override budget, mm-hmm. which, um, you know, all everybody in that meeting is going to vote, mm-hmm. uh, but... Um, I, and I know the selectmen are, are doing their best to, to, to put their, you know, to, to campaign on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do see a lot of signs. Uh, so uh, there's the signs aren't always wholly representative of the electorate, but that doesn't mean there's definitely a number of people that are firmly against the override. So we'll see. I'm going to have Selectman Corey on uh, at some point, probably maybe next week, actually, or the week after. Is that a June election? That is a... June fifth, I believe, election. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I know there was a gentleman that called you up the uh, the other night there and mentioned about uh, he, he got progressively against the thing. Well, you know, if you let this go, then there's more things going to be let go. And do you have also have a budget if it, that doesn't go through? Are they also pass that budget at the the, the, the town meeting. I don't think so. Um, but there'd have so. to be there would have to be some cuts. So. Well, yeah, that's what traditionally Fairhaven has done, and uh, I agree with you, especially with the uh, fire department. They need to have uh, positions filled, maybe even a bigger fire department that they have. Fairhaven has grown, yeah. and I think you can't depend upon the bridge being open and the Bedford Fire Department come charging across there with their machinery you know, to save uh, some of the uh, buildings in the center that are characteristic of the town. It would be terrible. I, You know, to me, I... When I do visit the center there, uh, uh, you know, it's it's a unique place. And again, yeah. Rogers left it to you, and you shouldn't uh, have it defended at all all costs. That's what I think. It makes the place what it is. Listen, i got to take one more break before all the right, hour's out. I appreciate the call. Thank you for talking to me. Yep. Th- you have a good night. Yep. Bye-bye.